Hey, welcome to another Model Railroad Hobbyist Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Gillette. On the line with me is co-host James Lincoln. Heidi Ho. <laughs> and our guest today is Craig Biskire. Craig, welcome aboard. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Ah, great to have you. So, Jimmy, what has been going on in the life of uh, the real railroader? <laughs> the real railroader. Well, um, the Boston commuter rail system got back and up to the, where it was before, which was pretty stinky. But at least it's uh, running relatively normally. Um, so nothing, nothing huge to report there. I've been doing my on the model railroad front i've been doing my normal 3d modeling things like that i have a couple of uh, items that have come out quite nicely and i'm very pleased with and i just figured that um craig has uh, a small company of his own and a, and a neat product that i think uh our listeners will be really interested in hearing about okay great uh i've been throwing your name around uh in the store and with model railroaders, especially when people go, well, I'm really looking for this. And I've said, you need to let me put you in uh, connection with uh, James Lincoln up in New England. He is a Shapeways guru. Oh. He is. So anyway, uh, yeah, I've got, I've got you up there with uh, Albert Einstein. Oh, <laughs> not sure I'd go that far, but no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Craig, Yes. You have a program called Here to There. That's what everybody's telling me, yes. Yes, good. Then we're all hearing the same rumors. Tell me, tell us about Here to There. Okay. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, on, a, on the highest level, uh, Here to There is a car forwarding program, uh, and it's similar in some ways to a regular car card and waybill system. Uh, if uh, there may be some folks out in the audience who may not know exactly what that is, who may not necessarily be all that familiar with operations. So in short, uh, what it is, is that when you operate a railroad, you need a paperwork system to tell you uh, where the, what's in the cars and where they're going. And what a lot of people do is they create what's called a car card, which is a paper representation of the cars that are on the layout. And within them, there's usually a pocket. Uh, and then there's usually a separate card, which is a waybill, uh, meaning which is meant to represent what the real railroads used to actually move traffic around. Uh, where a waybill would be started by a shipper who would say, "Okay, I got a hundred tons of widgets, and uh, I need a couple of box cars to ship them, and they're going to XYZ Industry over in Walla Walla, Washington." And so all that information would go on the waybill, and when the car got picked up. Uh, a copy of that would go with the conductor and stay with whoever was responsible for the train uh, pretty much all the way with the, where the, as those cars would go to wherever they were finally going to be dropped off. Copies would also go to the accounting department of the railroad and to the receiver and the shipper as well. Uh, that's sort of neither here to there, no pun intended. Uh, but basically, um, the way that uh, a car card system works is you have those two things. And uh, a lot of times... What people do is in order to try and keep things uh, moving is they'll have a four-sided waybill. So uh, the waybill will be printed on both sides uh, with 
uh, each end of it being this side up so that you can start it off on side one, take it out, flip it over, and now it's side two, take it out and flip it back to front, now it's side three, flip it one more time, side four, and then finally go back to side one again. And the idea there is to have four different movements that would generally happen over four to six different sessions. And so by the time that the car repeats what it normally does, it's usually about, you know, assuming you operate uh, once a month, it's six, six months later before the car actually goes ahead and does that again. Uh, so that's one method of keeping track of things and making sure the cars are getting where they need to go. Another web method that some people use is called a switch list. And there are computer programs out there that generate switch lists for you. Uh, some of them actually do a pretty creditable job. Uh, my personal feeling on it is that uh, because of the fact that very few of them are actually real time, uh, what happens is you end up trying to plan out the entire operating session ahead of time so you can get all the paperwork done. And then what happens is that if somebody makes a mistake, uh, that mistake can end up uh, cascading down the line. Like, for instance, if a local goes out and forgets to pick up a car, uh, and he comes back and now in the yard, their paperwork says that they're expecting to have a certain car there and the car's not there. They're looking all over for it. They don't know what to do. There's no information. So that can cause problems. That's why I try to stay away from those. Uh, here to there is sort of a hybrid system. There's no switch list, but it is computer driven. Uh, but it's waybill only. And what I mean by that is that unlike a car cart system where the waybills are permanent and they stay with the car carts, uh, this is a system where the waybills are generated on the fly uh, when the trains are ready to leave. Uh, actually, they had a time, but uh, they're generated for each session. Uh, and what you do is instead of having a specific uh, waybill that's married to a car cart, uh, it works very much the way a real railroad does in that you get the car carts. They're all based on uh, traffic that has to be moved back and forth, whether it's uh, empty cars or cars with loads. Uh, and what you do is you, when you're building the trains, you go in staging or when you're getting ready and you find cars on your railroad that match what that should be. For instance, if there's a, a load of widgets, uh, it has to go into a box car that's going west. Uh, so you're going to want to try to find one of your home road cars or you're going to try to find a car from the west that needs to go back home. And uh, what you'll do is you pick that car and then write down the car number and the railroad name on the waybill itself. And then that becomes the item that goes along with the train until the train eventually leaves uh, the railroad again. Uh, does it make sense so far? Oh, I think so, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so it's different because when the waybills are done, you throw them away. Uh, and I know a lot of people say that, uh, well, gee, that sounds kind of uh, like crazy. Why would you be throwing all that stuff away? Well, the reason for it is because the way that the system works, it's not really easy to try and reuse them. Uh, it's And it's much more uh, useful in terms of not repeating. Uh, a lot of times, like I mentioned before, with a car card system, cars will eventually repeat the same movements over and over again, over sessions. Uh, this way, every time the train comes in, it gets broken down. And when even though you may have a similar load going to another industry, uh, you'll you almost certainly probably choose another car the next time you run that. So you never get repeats. The trains always come out looking different. Okay. Sounds great. <laughs> okay. And uh, so anyway, so here to there is designed to be a system, like I said, where your 
doing everything based on how the real railroad did it. The, it's, it, the computer program is simulating having the shippers actually create loads that need to be moved. And then what you do is you get the waybills. And just like uh, the accounting department or the conductor, you're actually selecting cars on your railroad that actually will be do, doing these runs. Well, actually, you have to pick up a load at an industry or bring an industry on and then go back empty. All right. <laughs> what? No, no, I'm just uh, I'm doing an awful lot of talking. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, I'm, you know, the problem, the, the what, what we're what we're running into yep. is you know, you guys don't know what, what it does. No, I have no idea. I yeah, mean, I okay. have a vague <laughs> idea what it does. Right. And so, uh, you know, I'm a, you know, I hate to put it this way, but you know, hey, I'm a SolidWorks guy. You know, sure. I do I do 3D models. You're a model. That's, that's my thing. To being an operator, although you do the real thing, so right, I do the real thing, which yes. we have switch lists. So exactly. You know, for me, a switch list is a piece of cake, but that does not necessarily mean that that's the piece of cake for everybody. Right, and so, the thing is with the switch list stuff, it's you know, uh, with the prepared switch list that the computers generate, you you have to do everything exactly the way the switch list says to do it, or you can end up screwing up the session. Oh, yes. No, there's, there's really very little room for, uh, you know, trying to figure out a way to do it that might not necessarily be the way the computer intended for you to. Um, yes. Uh, you know, again, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, we get work uh, assigned to us and then you go out to where you've got to do the work. Right. And, you know, you have a series of cars that go in and a series of cars that go out now. Um, you know, our work orders don't tell you how to do that. Exactly. It just, it just says these cars go there, these cars leave there. Right. And now you can make decisions of, you know, hey, I've got three cars in the yard that need to go to the same place. Can I take the third one? They're going to, you know, there's enough space to do it. That way I don't have to come back tomorrow. Right. You know, those that are makes things. sense. Yeah. Well, that's also that can cause trouble too. But um, <laughs> you know, and then or hey, I'm running out of hours. This is a car of pulp wood too, or pulp, you know, paper pulp. They're going to make cardboard out of it. So uh, why why does the company need X box car of pulp wood, pulp board, when I can just take this other one that's at the end of the cut? But again, we're working with fifty cars, not. Right, so, that's true. You know, so yeah, and and like I was saying, the thing is, uh, when you're working with a car cart or and or waybill system, uh, you have that freedom. You can say, you know, okay, I have all the information I need about these cars. I have it on the paperwork that I have, so I can make the decision whether or not it needs to get done today, or whether I want to try to attack it in a way, maybe not put it in the way that uh, the computer expected me to, but in the mean, in the end, get everything where it needs to go. Uh, computerized switchless programs can be extremely exacting. And if you don't put the train together in the yard, for instance, the right way, that can really screw the paperwork up because now all the cars are in a different order. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, can be very difficult for somebody picking up that train to take it out. They're expecting everything to be in the order that they see it, but it doesn't always turn out that way if you don't get everything in just the way the computer says to do it. So with 
the car cards and waybills, when you have that, all the paperwork is right there in front of you rather than a switch list where you don't have any information about the car except for where it's going. Uh, if the paper, if the car ends up getting left behind, there's no clue as to what was supposed to happen to it. Uh, the computer knows, but the computer's not saying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, uh -huh. So a car gets orphaned and it can sit there for a session, two sessions, because nobody knows what's supposed to happen to it. Whereas if you have the paperwork that travels with the car during the session, if it gets left, uh, it's no big deal. The next train that comes by, this session, next session, will probably say, oh, this needs to go. It'll pick it up and no, no harm done. You know, it, mm -hmm. it might not make the train it was intended for, but it will eventually get where it needs to go. And that becomes an issue with prepared switch lists because, as I said, once there's a mistake made, uh, you know, if the train's out of order or if cars are missing, that can cause a problem down the line from one train to the next. And uh, it's one thing that I've always had a, a real problem with. Uh, I know there are a lot of people who really like it, and uh, I've worked with it, and I'm not saying it doesn't work, but it, it's just something I feel it takes the creativity out of doing the operations uh, as a person. You know, I want to sit there and I want to have the information in front of me and say, okay, I want to make these decisions about how do I want to attack this job? Like you were saying a minute ago about uh, having, you know, depending on the time, uh, depending on how many cars I have to move, uh, you know, th those are decisions that you make out in the field. And I want to, as a, mo as, as an operator, I want to be making those same decisions. I want the information that I have to be, you know, that I can make actionable decisions on. And a switch list takes that away from me. Maybe I'm, you know, what I'm thinking of as a switch list is totally different than anything I've been given from. That's uh, entirely from possible. Model Railroad. Yeah, know, because if you've I, never, yeah, because if you've never used a switch list on a model railroad that's been prepared by a computer, uh, yeah, it, it'll open your eyes. It's something that uh, you probably wouldn't expect. I mean, I'm certainly of the ilk that I've operated on railroads where we write our own switch lists based on the information that's available. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I've been a yardmaster and I've you know been in charge of yards, and I'll say. Okay, this train just came in. I'll go through the waybills quick, and I'll say, okay, the first three go to track two. Next one goes to track three. Next two go to track four. You know, and I'll rig that that switch list, and I'll hand it off to one of the yard guys, and I'll, you know, they don't need to know any of that information, but I had to have the information in front of me, in mm -hmm. order to make those decisions. Okay, you see. know what I'm saying? So yeah. there was there, there there's something behind that. Knowing what what where the cars are going and what's happening, uh, makes a huge difference. Okay, you know, so and with what, a computerized switch list, you have none of that information. See, what I'm talking about, what I would get at CSX when I was doing it, mm -hmm. is a switch list that the yardmaster would give you is right. um, is a computerized track list. Sure. So it's a list of everything on the track, and then he would write the tracks where those cars would go. So you'd mm -hmm. have 35 cars on the on the um, track one. Because normally the inbound tracks were northbound, was the northbound and track one were normally the inbound tracks. So they said, okay, track one, this is the order. So as you're looking at this line of cars, you know, he'd say, you know, track 12, track 8, track 6, track 8, track 6, track 12, track 11, track 4, you know, and that's how you do it. And when I was, you know, why do I need this, this, this pulp car? instead of that pulp car, when if I try to get that pulp car at 10 miles an hour, it's going to be a long time. 
sure. getting that pulp car because it's 50 cars away. But that nope, happens to be the one that they want. Right. Um, and, you know, so again, I'm getting a track list. And on the track list is reporting mark, car number, reporting mark, car number, placement in the, in the cut, which is mm -hmm. actually the first thing that you get. Okay. And then the commodity that's in there. And where, right. and then whether it's loaded or empty. And so right. it'll say pulp and then the company that it came from. Okay. So I know, or I knew, that, you know, Saks is getting four pulp cars from XYZ company. Sure. Well, he wants the one at place 27. I'm running out of time. Yep. There's another pulp car at place 7 from the same company. I'm right. taking that one. I'm making a command decision, and I'm taking that one because I don't want to wait for the 27. Okay. And that's I, what I I'm hear talking, you. I that's see what, what you're I'm saying. talking about with a, with a switch list. That's what I'm talking about. Right. So now, here's the difference is that the switch list you're talking about sounds like a great tool because it's got all the information that you need. It's got the position where it is. It's got, you know, the load, whatever it is, load or empty, exactly what the commodity is. It's got the shipper. It's got the receiver. All of that is the information that you need in order to make those decisions, Right. which is great. But that's when you get what, one on a model, I... you're not getting all that. You're getting from the computer, you're getting a car number and a car name and maybe a destination. That's mm -hmm. it. There's no information about where the car's from or what it's carrying. Okay, Mate, that's not intelligent. You might have an information about what it's carrying that might be on it. But here's the thing. All that information is in the computer. And like I said, let's say you're running a local and uh, you go out and you're running out of time or whatever. And you, there's one stuck in behind a building that you just didn't even see. And you just, you know, go on and blow out of town. Well, that car is there now, but there's no information anywhere about that car. You know, there's the next person to come into town. He doesn't have any information about that car. He's going to leave it because he doesn't right. have anything. As far as the computer knows, it decided last Tuesday that car got picked up. Okay, right. and when it, the car and when the train gets into the yard, okay, then the yard master is going to sit there and look at it and say, okay, I've got seven cars. I'm supposed to have eight because mm -hmm. I have eight on the where's switch the list. The, where's the car? What happened to it? You mm -hmm. know, and then he's like, so he's looking all over his, you know, like what happened? Where'd it go? And if he's not careful, you know, and didn't notice that it didn't come in with the train that it was supposed to, which can happen. Then now he's looking everywhere in the yard for this car, which doesn't exist because it's not there. Okay, and when he gets put together a train later on, and that car is supposed to be in that train again, same thing. Now he's looking all over again for this car that's not there. It's still back at the industry that didn't get picked up by the local. Okay. okay. So what I was saying is that uh, when on a model railroad system that's generated ahead of time, it's not real time. So, and one of the things like Jim was talking about is that if something did happen, he made that choice. At some point, he's going to go back to the yardmaster or to whoever's in charge and say, okay, I made a command decision, as he said, and I took this car instead of that, brought it with me. Well, you know, at that point, he's going to sit down. And even though that's a computerized list that Jim got, he, that, that guy's going to sit down and he's going to update it. He's going to say, okay, this car didn't go. This car went instead. And that's what's going to be on the list for that train. So in real life, this stuff gets updated in real time. But on a computerized switch list program, which, as I said, the guy actually generated the paperwork for the entire session last Tuesday. There's no way to do that in real time. And now you've got a problem. That's one of the reasons, like I said, I don't particularly care for that type of system. And it's actually one of the reasons why I developed here to there. And the primary reason for that was because I have a friend 
uh, named Dave Ramos and another guy named Ralph Heiss, good friends of mine. And uh, both of them worked together uh, on building a system for David's uh, New York Harbor Railroad layout, which is a layout set in 1947, uses this waybill system that we're talking about. David developed it based on some information that he uh, found from uh, Tony Thompson, as I recall who is one of the big uh, operations gurus and freight car gurus. With the system that David developed was originally done on Excel, uh, a simple spreadsheet uh, that he pumped all the information in for his, all his industries and what they were receiving and what they were shipping. And uh, when he runs a session, uh, he has a, a formatted page that he dumps all the information out to and he puts out waybills for him. And then he's able to run his entire session. And I thought that that was really neat. Uh, but for what David did, it was a terminal railroad. It really wasn't set up to handle uh, trains coming in from staging, trains leaving to staging, uh, a different junction points, things like that. So I took the idea and I kind of ran with it. And over the last two or three years, when I've had free time, I've been working on this program. Uh, and the idea is it, it does the same thing, except, and what it does is it totally gets rid of the idea of having a paper fleet of car carts that goes along a railroad, uh, along with all of your cars. All you have now is just the waybill, which is all that, in a lot of ways, the real prototype has when a, a, a car gets set up. They, the shipper fills out a waybill, and like I said earlier, uh, it goes with the car, with the conductor, and then it goes to the yard, it goes to the, you know, the yard office, and that's where they figure out where it needs to go. It gets bundled into another train, and that all that paperwork goes with that train in the caboose. Uh, or with the conductor to the next yard or station and eventually until it gets to where it's going. And all that information is used to build the car at the end. Now, we don't care about that. It's not important to us about whether or not uh, we actually get paid to move that load. What's cool about it is that now you're dealing with actually moving the loads on the railroad and just finding cars to actually carry them or to take empty cars back to where they came from. And that's actually, I think, a much better way to run a railroad than it is to have these set up uh, fleets that just cars are just ping pong back and forth. It's really designed uh, in a lot of ways to work with a yard that's a fiddle yard or what they call active staging, which is what I do on my railroad. But it's perfectly you know, capable of being used on other layout designs as well. Uh, the reason it works so well on active staging is that uh, in active staging, when you're having an operating session, uh, the trains don't start off completely built all around the railroad, ready to go. Uh, I don't have <laughs> that many cars or locomotives. I can't afford to do that. So one of the things we have is an active staging system where we'll start off with a few trains and staging that are prepared for the beginning. And then as the session goes on, the trains will leave uh, and go out onto the railroad to go do what they do. And as the session goes, other trains will finish their jobs and end up coming back into staging. When that happens, those trains get broken down. The locomotive gets sent off to a service area, and the boxcars, flat cars, gondolas, they all get picked up and actually taken off the railroad and put onto shelves or into drawers because there's not enough room to stage every single train. So now what happens is that we're, I'll say, like an hour into the session, and now we need to actually generate a new train that's supposed to come out in about a half an hour or so. Okay, well, we didn't have room for it before, but now we do. A couple of trains have left, so we got to build that train. So now what we'll do is we'll take the cards that I got from my here to there program and each one of them is set out for a particular train that needs to get done. Uh, it's got all the information in it. it. The program takes care of putting together the cars that need to go into that train or the loads, I should say. And then 
what you do is you go ahead and say, okay, fine. The first car is that widget car I was talking about. It's got, uh, it's going to California. And I go through, it's a box car. So I go through my box cars and I say, okay, I have a home road car that I'd like to use. So I'm going to take that. And I take that and I put the car on the track. And very quickly with a pencil, I write down the car name and the car number. So in this case, it'd be Housatonic Railroad, uh, car one, two, three, four. And that car then goes with the, the box car on the track for temporary. The next one is uh, a gondola. It's empty. It's going to a industry on the layout to be loaded. So I'll take that. And I'll find a gondola that's uh, going to be going back the, the way that the load is going to go eventually. And that char will now go on the layout too, along with that waybill. You write down the car number and the car name and so on and so forth. As you go on, eventually you fill out however many cars, 12, 13, 20, that go into that train. And now you've, you've built up that entire train. You collect the cards together. And now when somebody is ready to actually go ahead and run that train, all the paperwork is ready along with all the cars in the train. It departs, and that's the end of that. And then and now it's time to actually go ahead and build another train. Call from this guy, H. I'm saying, okay, I'm just... Call <laughs> that, that, that lends, the, that lends a little bit that. of ambiance. Yeah, sorry about that. I meant to get rid of that phone before we started. But... Oh, well. Yeah. It happens. That's okay. Uh, yeah. it's clean break. We can edit. We can edit that out. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually very well timed. Actually. Oh, good. 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 <laughs> As you were saying. As I was saying. Okay. As so, um, and anyway, so that's how uh, you would go ahead and create a, a train, build up a train, uh, on my railroad during an operating session. But that's not to say you couldn't do the same thing on a railroad with uh, conventional staging. Uh, all you would do is, you know. Pull the train out. A lot of people, what they do when they restage and they've got car cards and waybills is they'll pull the train out and they won't even change any of the cars in the train. They might take one or two out, uh, but they'll take it and it's set up in such a way that all they have to do is uh, take the waybills out of the car card on each car and flip it over. And now uh, the car that left on this one train is now going to come back in behind the same set of locomotive and everything as a different train. And it's going to be set up to do everything. And that's very convenient. And it makes staging fairly quick um but it does mean that you know the last time that the train went out it basically was all the same cars it's going to come back just the same way uh and personally i've always found that a little bit annoying i don't really like that i want the train to look like it's a different day uh something different happened if i was here last session I don't, and i don't want i saw that one go into staging the last uh, time i was here and now i come back and and here for the beginning of the session here it comes again i i just saw this train you know a month ago and but i, I recognize it you know so this way you can take it out. You can move some of the cars around. You might want to swap in some new ones and get rid of some others. Uh, the idea is you just go through with the waybills and uh, see what's needed to go on each track or, or in each car, I should say, and then just put the train back together, put it back into staging. Is it going to take a little longer? Yeah, probably. But it's going to make for a much more realistic looking and operating look, uh, train on your railroad when you're done with all your staging. About how long are you planning, I mean, when you're doing all this, how long are your op sessions? They generally run about two to four hours, usually around three, three and a half. And uh, my railroad will actually generate enough cars uh, or bills to probably run about, I don't know, 15, 20 passenger, uh, freight trains. Now, but the thing is, uh, we'll probably move something on the order of about two to 250 cars in a session, but... Uh, out of that, at any given time, about half of them are on trains ready to leave uh, when the session starts. About half of them are actually in yards or at uh, 
at industries. And it's only about uh, a third of them, really, that uh, I might say a third, a third, and a third. And so only about 30, 35% of the cars that are going to be need new waybills at the beginning of the session. So we we'll only have to generate waybills on my rail for it for about 60 or 70 cars instead of a full 250. Well, how many guys are there at the operating session? Well, it's a big railroad. It's a uh, double-decked railroad that's about, uh, I guess it's about 35 by 22. Um, and normally we have about 16 people. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that includes, two, uh, there's two uh, major yards, uh, a dispatcher, two operators, a couple of yard masters, a couple of helpers, and about five uh, five to six crews that actually move most. So it, it's a big operating. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually somewhat of an issue. I've actually been thinking lately that I might want to start trying to downsize it a bit just to get the crew size down. Yeah, Craig's got Craig's got quite the large railroad. It's it's That's really true. really cool. And he, you have a lot of trains really because the trains are short. That's uh, true. Yeah. Since I model eighteen ninety two and the launch trains usually about twelve to fifteen cars, uh, we tend to have more trains than uh, a lot of other people would. What period are you doing? Uh, 1892. 1892. Yes. Small American-type locomotives, 10-wheelers. Uh, the, the average boxcar is 32 to 34 feet long. It holds about uh, 20 to 40 tons as a general rule. So it's small cars, small trains. Post-Civil War. <laughs> yes, post-Civil War, uh, definitely you know, before the advent of uh, steel frame cars, you know, no kidding. Mm -hmm. I guess you've built a lot of kits. There's not a lot of that stuff available ready to run. <laughs> no, that's true. There really isn't. And uh, actually, one of the things that uh, Jim mentioned about uh, the fact that I do a small company that uh, helps is I actually do laser cut kits for my period, cars from the 1880s or so that I sell. And uh, it, it, you know, we have, I have a small group of uh, pretty committed people who model similar periods. So uh, I may not sell a ton of them, but when I do bring something out, I'm sure I'm going to sell at least 30 or 40 of them. So. Well, give us a shameless plug. What's the website? What's the company? Oh, well, thanks. The website is uh, com. That's A-M-E-S-V-I-L-L-E-S-H-O-P-S.com. All one word. You can see there, there's a, actually a whole... Uh, thing there on here to there on how the program works and all like that. Uh, but there's also obviously uh, several pages on the different uh, models that uh, we produce. Uh, and I've, uh, Jim's actually built one of them. Uh, yep. So sent him one. He did a really wonderful job with it. Uh, I've gotten a lot of really good uh, feedback from uh, people I've worked with that they're uh, relatively simple to build and come up and build up into a, a fairly nice looking car. So I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, people who haven't seem to be pretty happy with them too. So. Okay, so do you sell direct or do you have a dealer pricing strategy also? Well, I don't sell nearly enough of them to really have a dealer pricing. So I do. I sell them direct from the website. Okay, because I get people in the store going, well, I'm doing the late 1800. Do you now? Yeah, and they're going, well, and there's such a dearth of stuff available. And now I can write this down and go contact this guy. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure that uh, if you wanted to have stock a few of the, the cars that we make, I'm sure we could come to some sort of arrangement. So, Okay, yeah, we've got uh, here in the desert, we've got, you know, iguanas and snakes we trade all the time. 
Outstanding. <laughs> yeah, I, I can say that the kit was uh, was was easy to build. I messed up something. I, I mean, it, you know, the nice thing about working with wood as opposed to plastic is I, I messed something up and I had to I had to. It, it, it's a uh, laser cut sides that you you build a interior frame, at least on the box car, the XB box car. Um, mm -hmm. You build an interior frame and then you laminate the siding on it. And uh, while I would, while it was setting, one of the sides shifted, so it started like drooping down one side. So I had to peel it off, which wasn't a whole lot of fun because I had used a lot of wood glue. <laughs> and uh, but I was able to fix that and as a matter of fact any damage that I caused looked like normal wear and tear in the car so it didn't look bad mm -hmm. and then uh, while I was working on it I had the wheels on it I placed it on the table that I was working on it and it rolled right off down two and a half feet onto a, um, a ceramic tile floor bounced the trucks <laughs> The trucks like split apart and shot wheels everywhere. I put those back together. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, but the car was, I have to point out to people, that's where it hit the floor. There's yeah. like no damage to it. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's funny because you really would think that a car that's made out of wood would be delicate, but they're actually very tough. Cool. Yeah. Sorry, I was getting comfy. <laughs> Okay. Sorry, I go from in the bucket to out of the bucket. To, you know, sorry, I was leaning back and thinking. I see, I see the support staffs in the background. No, that's <laughs> not mine. That's his. That's Craig. Yeah, those are mine. Sorry, <laughs> the UPS man just drove by and. <laughs> well, that's okay. James, two dogs uh, get uh, I, iTunes credit for uh, <laughs> being a part of the show staff. So your dog can be a be a guest uh, star, special just like guest you. Parker, yes. Special <laughs> guest star, yes. Uh, but no, I, w I was particularly because I was very upset when it hit the floor, and then I looked at it, and I was like, "Wow, it actually looks like damage to the roof." It did. Yeah, yeah, it did actually. <laughs> it came out nice, actually. <laughs> I'm not going to recommend dropping it on the floor, but uh, it actually came out pretty good. It's kind of funny. Um, so I. Highly recommend the kits. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no, very easy to build and different. You know, it's not the normal thing that you build. That's true. But, you know, I mean, it's a craftsman kit, you know, but as you said, it's designed, you know, to be fairly simple because it's laser cut. It's fairly simple to assemble. Uh, the instructions, I think, are, are pretty uh, careful and pretty easy to follow. Uh, and as I said, I've had very good feedback from many of the customers. So, you know, if anybody's interested in trying one, I mean, we sell, they sell for about $34 a piece. Uh, right now we have a Pennsylvania Railroad XB slash XC boxcar. Uh, and we also have a Pennsylvania Railroad GA drop bottom gondola, both kits that are available right now. And, uh, in the near future, we're going to have an 1870s, uh, end porch express boxcar. Uh, that's going to have uh, laser-cut wood trucks, which should be really interesting. Uh, and we're also going to have a couple of cars that are coming up. One is a uh, heavy-duty uh, lumber flat car uh, by the Kanda company, EE Kanda. That's a really interesting car because it's a 40-foot uh, wooden frame box car with eight truss rods. 
and the truss rods actually kind of go back up and down in almost like an accordion-like fashion. So it's visually a very interesting car. And uh, we're also in the process of putting together another uh, Pennsylvania GD gondola, which is a shorter car with higher sides than the GA. Uh, and it's a uh, uh, upper bottom uh, wooden gondola. So I know it sounds like we've done an awful lot of Pennsylvania cars. It just kind of happened to work out that way lately. Uh, we actually will be having uh, some other uh, cars coming out, some other railroads. But uh, you know how it is when you're trying to sell products and you put something out in Pennsylvania and pretty much everybody will buy it. So, <laughs> so are those arch bar trucks? Yes, they are. In fact, uh, we recommend uh, Arch Bars by uh, Tahoe Model Works. They make a very nice five-foot wheelbase Dolrin truck, uh, okay. which has removable brakes, uh, inside-hung brakes that you can take out if you don't want to use them. So They are really, indeed really nice, nice trucks. They do. Beautiful. Yep. We sell them. What about couplers? What's appropriate for that era? Well, that's always a, a, an interesting question uh, because really from the 1880s and such, uh, primary couplers that were available were Lincoln pin. Okay. Uh, it didn't really start changing uh, wholesale until probably about the turn of the century. Uh, you started getting Janney knuckler couplers probably in the middle to late 1880s, I think. Uh, but the thing is, even then, uh, most couplers had a slot and a pin. So that you could still interface them with Lincoln pin cars. When I was doing my railroad, I made a conscious decision, even though I should have probably uh, between 70 and 80 percent cars with Lincoln pin. Uh, I didn't want to deal with that in HO scale. That's just, you know, <laughs> I am 53 and, I, you know, my eyesight's not as good as it once was. And I just did not like the idea of trying to bend over and, try to, you know, see in there to try to get a, a couple of pins in a, around a link. Um so I made a conscious decision to use the Katie uh, scale couplers, yeah. which I think look pretty good. Uh, and the cars are actually set up to take a Katie coupler box. So although if you want it, I'm sure that uh, you could probably come up with a, uh, a receiver, you know, a, a thing like I think CalScale or uh, one of the companies sells them. And so you could probably retrofit it to actually use blink and pin couplers. Okay. Or use those scale chain links and then... Uh... Mm -hmm. Somebody's uh, bold details slipped down through there. Exactly, yeah. Well, you know, Bernie Kapinski has done working Lincoln pin couplers on his uh, yes uh, Civil War layout. Yes, but that's but, O scale though. But that's O scale. So yeah. he so, also has working brakes on some of his boxes, yes. which is insane. Yeah. <laughs> if you took that Lincoln pin adaptation, because these cars are so short. You could actually leave them semi-permanently coupled together and just pick up two and three cars at a time. Yeah, we, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we the way we do intermodals like the G, uh, the GSC cars from Walther's. Sure. Yeah, that would be a possibility. Okay. But then that kind of alleviates the whole here to there, different cars <laughs> in the train, different order thing. Well, yeah. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. But it could be done. If you, it could, if you it wanted could to done. model Lincoln pin, that would probably be the saner way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, now you're not you're not modeling the Pennsylvania Railroad. No, no, I'm not. But even in my period, the Pennsylvania had an absolutely huge fleet. So every train should have at least a couple of Pennsylvania cars in it. Um, and plus the fact that uh, on my railroad, I actually have a, uh, a plant, a coal gasification plant in uh, Danbury, Connecticut, uh, which is on the layout. And uh, one of the things that uh, that did is in order to, now I don't know if anybody knows what a coal 
gasification plant is, but basically back in the day, there was no natural gas. And for lighting and for uh, cooking and things, they had manufactured gas, okay? And that's where a lot of those original uh, big coal tank, uh, not coal, uh, gas tanks that we see were originally developed for that type of thing, but they had to manufacture it. And what they did was they took bituminous coal and they cooked it the same way that you make uh, coke, except they cooked it to the point that they were actually creating, uh, breaking it down into gas and cooking it to the point that there was almost nothing left. Whereas when you're making Coke, you break it down to get the oxygen out of it and make it a, a lot more, uh, get all the impurities out so it burns hotter, usually for making steel. But the same process can be used to create manufactured gas or uh, one of the industries on my railroad gets an awful lot of bituminous coal from Pennsylvania. And so that was a, definitely an impetus for making uh, Pennsylvania Railroad hopper bottom guns and drop bottom guns. That's not pinch gas, is it? No, no. Pinch was another type of manufactured gas, but uh, it's it's a little bit different. Okay, because you made a, a one off. Now you're not going to do you're not going to do the pinch car pinch gas car as a kit. Well, you know, a lot of people have asked me to do that carb, uh, and I guess it's a possibility eventually. No, the reason I I asked about I mean I knew kind of the answer, but mm -hmm. you know the answer is. Really, in 1890, everybody should have Pennsylvania Railroad cars. Exactly. Yeah, so that's why they're kind of, whether you model the Pennsylvania or not. Yeah, I mean, they were pretty much ubiquitous. Everywhere you looked, you'd find them, you know, so. Right. I mean, I can understand why somebody might not want to necessarily buy a Colorado and Southern car if they're, you know, modeling in the Northeast. But, uh, yeah, you'd right. see one once in a while, but Pensy cars you're going to see everywhere. Probably the, probably the vast majority of, I mean, a lot of the pictures that you probably have because it's not like you're overflowing with photographs from 1892. You'd be surprised. It's actually more than you might expect. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it's actually one of those things that, that uh, you know, modeling the early period is that uh, you're right. There's not a ton of stuff, but what there is gets shared quite a bit among people who are enthusiasts of the period. And mm. so uh, there are books uh, out there with uh, early pictures. Uh, and a lot gets shared. The internet's been a real boon to all kinds of modeling, and uh, early period is definitely one of them. That that's it, a lot of information gets shared uh, through Yahoo groups and uh, other websites, things like that. So, uh, Facebook and other things has been huge for that. Uh, so it, it's it's a great time to be a modeler because the information is so readily available now. Right. You know even. Even things you don't have, you can call up people and say, hey, I don't suppose you could draw this for me. Could you? <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't know anybody who might do that. Now, would we? No, no, I wouldn't know anybody who does that. What Jim is referring to is uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I contacted him. There's a car I'm considering doing for my line, which is a Lehigh Valley heavy-duty flat car. Uh, in fact, we have pictures of them that show them carrying uh, naval guns. Uh, that are being prepared for the Spanish-American War. Uh, and it's a really neat car. And one of the things I'd really like to do about it is the trucks, which are unique and nobody's ever done them. Uh, so I managed to get some, not great, but relatively decent pictures of the cars. And I, I sent Jim a note and said, hey, I uh, think you might be able to draw these, might be able to get them done in Shapeway so we could cast them. <laughs> so, uh, I was like, do you have any drawings? As a matter of fact, I do. As a matter of fact, I do. That's right. And, and, I, say, and I was like, okay, do you have any pictures? Got that. Uh, sort of. <laughs> They're not the best pictures, but they are pictures. But I do have pictures, yes. Yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, and that goes with what we were just talking about. You know, you look around far enough. You may not be able to find everything, but you can find a lot. Well, what got you into this time period? I mean, you're kind of uh, a minority, aren't you? Uh, very much so, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, what kind of got me into it was uh, originally I was a, a 1950s freelance modeler. And uh, I kind of... Uh, said to myself, well, I want to model a, a particular, you know, freelance railroad. I was trying to think of what to do. So I opened up a, uh, an atlas and I said to myself, well, let's see, I like New England. So I kind of started looking around in Connecticut and Massachusetts. And I said to myself, well, you know what? Railroads often follow rivers. So let me look at the names of the rivers. And uh, I came up with the Housatonic, which was a river that runs in Connecticut and Massachusetts. And I thought, well, that sounds really good. So I said, well, I'll do the Housatonic Valley, you know, and that became the the freelance railroad that I modeled for uh, about four or five years. And I made a bunch of 1950s equipment, some of which I still have. Uh, and, uh, but the thing was, I found out not too long after I did that, that there actually had been a real Housatonic railroad. And that annoyed the living snot out of me because I thought, here, I wanted to be original. I didn't want to have to, you know, model something that, uh, that already existed. But as I found out about that and I started doing more and more research on it and you know, finding things in books, and I started finding out that it was way more interesting than what I had come up with out of whole cloth in my head. And uh, eventually, I, I kind of got to the point where I started really getting the prototype bug and I had to make a decision because I said, well, the real Housatonic uh, was taken over by the New Haven in 1892. Uh, and there's a long story behind that, which I won't go into. Uh, it's part of it's up on my website, uh, the rr.com if anybody wants to go look for it. Um, but uh, there's the railroad was taken over then. And I said to myself, well, if I want to model it uh, and have the traffic density and have the heavy duty railroad that I really want to have, I have to model it in 1892 because by the 1950s, it was pretty much a shadow of what it had been. There was like maybe one or two passenger trains a day and I think two or three freights. And that was really about all. Uh, it had some interesting things. It had, you know, RS3s and a couple of other interesting locomotives. Uh, and it was a nice single track line and all. But I really wanted something that was going to be a lot more hectic, a lot more dramatic. And the only way to do that prototypically was to go back to 1892. And so I started thinking about that. I had a lot of friends who were very supportive and basically said, well, look, you know, we know that you like the 50s, but this guy's modeling the 50s, that guy's modeling the 50s, that guy's modeling the 40s. You know, there's plenty of people around who are modeling that period. If you want to fix, you can go visit any of them. I said, but nobody's doing what you're thinking about doing. And, they, you know, and they said to me, are you sure that you can handle the what's needed in terms of the model building? You know, I said, well, yeah, I think I can do it because, you know, I'm, I'm a good scratch builder and I like, you know, working with models and like that. I said, you know, the only thing I really have that's really a problem at this point is the locomotives. And about the same time, Bachman came out with their 460 and then the 440 that they have. And that was pretty much the nail in the coffin. That That's what did it. So that, that drove the decision to start researching and really model the 1890s. And I started the railroad back in 2003. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> Very cool, and you've done a nice job. It's, you know, it's um, I've visited but never operated. Yes, and uh, yeah, Jim actually has done a little work on the railroad here and there, being the traveling turnout priest that he is, <laughs> has actually yeah. come and he's actually laid one or two on my railroad, which is nice. Three, three, three. Okay, talking about that, then backing up. 
What code track are you using? Good question. Uh, for the most part, it's code 70. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I wanted to use 55, but I thought that would just be a little too insane. Okay. Kind of like the uh, Lincoln pin stuff. So <laughs> I made a decision to go with code 70. Okay. Are you DCC? Yes, absolutely. NCE, DCC. Uh, we don't do any consisting uh, because it, there wasn't any in the 1890s. Uh, if a train needs to have two locomotives, it gets two crews. So. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, are you doing sound? Yes. Yeah, about I say about eighty or ninety percent of the locomotives have sound in them now. Uh, some have the the latest uh, Digitrack stuff. The not Digitracks, I'm sorry, the Soundtrack stuff. Uh, some of the older locomotives have the older like eight bit sound, but they, they still work. And I really, I think it really adds a real dimension to it. It, it really, especially with steam, uh, helps people to operate at scale speeds, which is one of the things I really like about it. Uh, when someone's cooking along at eighty, ninety miles an hour, <laughs> and the locomotive's going. <laughs> You know, doing the cha-cha. Go, oh, I think I'm yeah. going a little too fast. Yeah. <laughs> kind of slow it down a little bit. Doing so. the cha-cha. Okay. Exactly. Well, then. Yeah, I guess there's a great story that uh, Tim Harrison told when he was there one time. Of You're coming around the corner. What in God's name are you doing? <laughs> yeah, there was a guy going really, really fast. And I said, you know, what are you doing? Why are you going? He's like, oh, well, it stalled before. So I didn't want to, you know, get stuck. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I wanted to throttle this guy. <laughs> I'm like, D -d 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 you see everybody else is running like 20, 25 miles an hour. Like, why can't you do that? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It was very frustrating. I don't know. Well, and probably in that period of time, that was probably considered a good clipping rate. Yeah, I mean, uh, 20 to 25 was pretty standard for freights, uh, particularly if they were, you know, on a grade, 10 to 15 then even. Uh, so, you know, the passenger trains made it to 40 or so. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it, yeah, that's one thing. Small trains, short trains, uh, you know, slow speeds. It's, it really is a lot of things that take a large railroad and actually make it feel even bigger. You know, that's what that, was, that was definitely one of the pluses when I was designing it. Uh, that I was that really came to mind was that you know having a, a train a railroad with all those things makes a railroad seem much longer because it takes a longer time for you to get around and go at where you're going. Okay. Now, and I don't know, so let me ask. That was probably when braking was primarily by handbrake. That's right. Before Westinghouse came out with the air brake. Well, there were some air brakes at that point, uh, okay. not a lot. Uh, it, the way that the prototype did it is that they would run all the cars with air brakes up towards the front of the locomotive and anything that didn't have air brakes would end up behind. Uh, so what would happen is that they'd be able to control the air brakes from the locomotive, but you'd still have to have, uh, guys up on top of the brakeman to every two to three cars to actually set the brakes when necessary. And in fact, uh, one thing I, I really try, it's not always successful, but when we're operating, I really try to have my operators, if they're going to try to slow their train down, I always want them to try to signal for the calling for brakes, which is basically just one short toot before you start to slow down. Because in real life, what they would have had to do is the engineer would have, in a situation where he needed brakes, he would have just hit the horn, just toot like that, and that would have told the brakeman start applying the brakes, you know? So little things like that, operations-wise, can really help set the period and make people feel like they're really, you know, doing the things in, in that era that were done. 
you know, it's not always successful trying to get everybody to do that, but when it does, it's really kind of fun. Going back to the uh, here and there, or here to there. I'm sorry, I said that. Here to there, yes. That's okay. Now, is this software that someone buys if they want to use your system, or? Yeah, that's that's how it's going to okay. work. Uh, right now, we're we're still in beta testing, uh, but uh, I'm hoping we're going to have it available starting sometime this summer, or at the very latest this fall. Uh, and I'm not sure about the price yet. It's probably going to be somewhere between fifty and a hundred dollars, uh, probably closer to seventy or so. Okay. Um, but it'll be a self-contained thing where you get it, you install it on your computer, uh, and you can. It's, it's go. Oh, here's another great thing about it too. It's going to come with the uh, database that the operations uh, SIG uh, put together a number of years ago. I'm in the process right now of uh, actually normalizing all the data and getting it ready so it can actually work with a computer program. But there's going to be over 66,000 uh, industry records in terms of industries and commodities around the country and in different eras that will be available. And that's one of the things that people always have you know, issues with when trying to set up uh, car cards or waybills is that, uh, well, okay, fine, I have an industry on my railroad that uh, says, uh, let's say it does bakery stuff. They, they bake bread. Well, where can I, where can I send it? You know, uh, where, where does bread go? You know, well, this is going to be this industry uh, database that comes along with the product that you'll be able to say, okay, well, where can I send bread? Or where can I send coal? Or where can I send uh, washing machines? Uh, and it will give you uh, sometimes 10, sometimes 100s of industries that will accept that particular type of commodity. So now all of a sudden you're able to build a catalog of waybills that uh, for the industries on your railroad either receive commodities from other places that ship them or the other way around. If you ship them, you can find places to send them. And that information will then appear on the waybills for the car carts. Sorry, waybills, excuse me. There are no car carts. Um, so that will come with it. So you're going to get that 66,000 uh, records uh, as something to work with as part of the program. Uh, it'll be able to go ahead and print waybills on uh, Avery uh, business card stock. So you can go to the store and, and pick that stuff up. That's the, if everybody, anybody's ever tried to do that, it's the, uh, uh, it's a full sheet of uh, eight and a half by 11 paper, but it's scored so that once you print on them, you can break it apart and you get 10 car business cards that come out of it. Uh, well, here there is designed to work with those so that you print it on one side, you print it on the other side, and then you break it apart and you have individual cards that are two and two inches by three and a half. Uh, so that's how you do it. And there's also uh, cutters available or you can cut them by hand if you want to, if your railroad's not very big. But uh, that's how you would get the waybill output. Cool. Yeah. So, and I think that uh, it's going to end up being a really... Uh, interesting product. I think people are, well, after they get over the strangeness of it, because it is a different way of doing things, I think a lot of people are really going to start enjoy, enjoying to use it because it's going to make things a little bit more realistic uh, on people's railroads. And it's a system, like I said, that actually follows the way that the prototype works rather than it's a model railroad convention. Are there constraints on the number of cars and locomotives or trains, let's say, that you can put into this uh, operating uh, model? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, there's, well, first of all, um, when you create the, the program, when you, you put your railroad in, you start off by defining the railroad, you define the, the towns that the railroad is part of, uh, the sidings in those towns, the industries that are on the sidings, and then the 
commodities that those uh, industries either produce or receive. Uh, so this is a bit of a, a setup that you go through in order to do this, and it does take a little while. But it also comes up with the trains. You also put input the trains that you want to run, and you put in where they're going to run from and to, uh, and what connections do they have. So it'll connect with uh, interchanges for other railroads, uh, yards that are defined by you, so things can go there and get switched onto another train. And then it will automatically figure out for you when you select the labels that you're doing, and then it figures out which trains to put them into. And the trains are defined in terms of how many cars can they take. There's a setting that says, uh, I want to have so many uh, spots reserved for cars that are handled locally, and the rest can be filled out with uh, through cars, if it's a through train, things like that. So there's an awful lot of different restraints and constraints and, and uh, selections that you can make in order to keep everything going just the way that you want it. Once like I, you said, I, I once, think that it is. I've really sweated the details on it, and I think that, you know, hopefully you're going to get some feedback from some of the beta users in the next couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, if, if they have any ideas that will help make it better, that will be great. I'll try to include them. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, th I think that people are really going to like it. Now, um, how long have you been working on this? I've been working on this for probably close to four years. Uh, I did take a hiatus. I took a hiatus on it for about two years when uh, the one of the reasons I originally started developing it was that I needed to learn uh, database structures for work. Uh, I was out of work and I was trying to find a job and uh, I needed to learn how to write SQL Server. So part of my training on that was to actually develop the database for this program. And uh, eventually I realized that that was a poor choice for a consumer product. Because <laughs> SQL Server, if you know anything about how that works, it, it's a very large, very unwieldy program. It's very powerful, it's certainly more so than it needs to be for this small application. So I recently, in the last uh, three months, decided to change over into a more smaller, more agile, uh, easier to distribute uh, 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 SQL driver. And so now we, we've gone ahead and we've moved all the strict procedures over and the tables and everything, and it's running quite well. So now it's actually getting to the point where it's distributable in a very easy way. And uh, so that that's really what has made the difference in the last few months. We, we're getting able to it's, – it's almost been ready to go for about two years, but now we can actually finally put it on people's desktops, which is great. The beta testing is actually being done by people creating the the, the waybills, the, uh, the loads, and actually applying it and operating it on their railroad? That's the plan. Yep, that's the plan. The idea is to have people who have operating railroads uh, take a copy of the program and input all the information about their railroad and about their trains and then go ahead and use it to generate uh, waybills for sessions, run them, and then, you know, see how that goes and run another one, you know, basically run two or three sessions and see that everything comes out. What do they like? What do they not like? You know, that type of thing. So, and, uh so far, the feedback has been good, but there's not a whole lot of people who've actually seen it yet. So <laughs> very soon, I hope. Uh, when it is available, uh, when it is finally available for purchase, it'll be available on AmesvilleShops.com. Oh, okay. Very good. Very good. All right. I wonder if it would pay, and this is just thinking out loud, to have submit an article on this to uh, MRH Mag. Oh, I am planning on okay, doing Okay, very that. good. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, to go. Yeah, I just wanted to get everything all set up before, uh, you know, uh, submitting the article so that at least if we do any make any last-minute changes, they'll be included. So. And I'm sure just being here with uh, James and I, you'll be inundated with uh, people as soon as this hits. But, yeah, wouldn't uh, Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> it, it would. I'd certainly like to sell a film. <laughs> yeah. It certainly won't hurt. No, no. Well, I think it's an intriguing idea. And uh, I, you know, we've talked to different people on different shows that have all kinds of control systems and so forth. I still have 50-year-old model railroaders and stuff where people used to put lean cards, you know, index cards up against the cars. Oh, sure. Or, or use thumbtacks to stick a note to the top of the car. I've seen that. And yep. <laughs> run around, and that just always amazed me that, yeah, let me spend a couple hours here detailing and weathering a car and then put a <laughs> Post-it note on it. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. No, it? I thought it was counterintuitive to me, but, you know, mm-hmm. I'm kind of a, uh, I'm not an operations guy, so I just kind of like watching trains go around the track. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well, fortunately, out here in Phoenix, I had room for a very large railroad uh, with 50-foot straightaways. But in the relocation to New Orleans, uh, that is yet to be <laughs> seen whether I'll have that kind of room or not. So. Well, it's a lovely town. Uh, that's what my wife tells me. She's already there. So I'm in the desert waiting to get the house sold, and then I'll follow the moving van out of, the ro- out of town. Yep. Be closer to Jimmy and Chris. Sort of. <laughs> sort of, yeah. Instead of 3,000 miles away, it'd only be 2,000 miles. Right. Yeah. yeah. The step in the right direction. <laughs> it's a quantum leap. So, speaking of uh, the MIA, Mr. Palomares, do you hear anything from him? I guess business got in the way. I did. He pinged me back and he said, um, I said we were, you know, on with. Craig and he said, "Just you know, just keep going, and he'll chime in another time." Well, that's okay. That's all right. You and I have brought enough shoulders to uh, carry Chris's load, so it's okay. So, and if there's just one more thing I'd like to mention is just uh, you know we're all brothers here in podcasting, and I just wanted to mention that I'm also uh, the co-host of the uh, Model Railcast show, uh, MRCS. Uh, so, if anybody's interested, I mean. Model Railroad Hobbyist is a great thing and really happy to support it. Uh, we'd sure love to have people. If you haven't tuned into the Model Railcast show, uh, try modelrailcast.com or try, look for Model Railcast, Ryan Anderson's Model Railcast show on iTunes and have a listen to us because uh, we usually have some pretty good guests as well. We have a lot of fun and uh, we'd sure love to, you know, increase our number of listeners. Well, uh, coincidentally, when we started this podcast in uh, middle of 2010, Craig, or Craig, no, you're Craig, Ryan and I were the, were the co-host. He, That's right. Yeah, yes. he had his mm-hmm. model rail cast. I was a guest on a couple of his shows, helped him, and then he and I were doing this one. So there's, you know, it's Jim, you participate in what? Model uh, Rail Radio? Well, I've been on Model Rail Cast. I've been on Model Rail Radio. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's an incestuous group. It's been a group. great guest for us. It really is. If it <laughs> yeah. wasn't for the most of us, I don't know who we talked to. <laughs> yeah. true. And I think at one time or another, most of us have either interviewed Scotty Mason or been on his show. So That's right. true. <laughs> That's okay. It's a, <clears throat> excuse me. It's a close-knit family. 
Mm-hmm. It is. And a good one at that. Yes. It's uh, especially if I'm doing, I'm a big road trip guy. And so I would rather spend hours behind the wheel of a car going across America than, you know, going through security at an airport, sitting, waiting, boring flight and all that stuff. And, uh, oh, yeah, I just now you can stream all this stuff. Used to be you had to just, you know, fill your uh, memory up to uh, Mac so you'd have something to listen to. I stream uh, I use tune in radio. And I can stream literally from Los Angeles to Dallas. And there's just on I-10 and I-20, there's, I think, maybe five miles at the California-Arizona border because of the mountains. That is a dead zone. The rest of it is just really cool. Technology is amazing. That's right. Heaven knows there's no radio out in the middle of nowhere. So <laughs> I'm sure that's true. That's right. With monorail radio, a lot of times, not to read more recent shows, but some of the older shows are four or five hours. So yeah. you only need to download one. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, but it's like people go, well, I like his broadcast because it's four hours long. And I guess, you know, they can go in the train room, put it on the background and, you know, lay track for four hours and then, oh, good. It shows over. I can quit now. Yeah. Let's talk about the industry. I saw, I was wanting Chris to be here because uh, who is it? I got his email yesterday, and it was touting the newly released Atherin N-Scale F and F45 with DCC sound. And they had a video, and I was just blown away by the sound fidelity coming out of this uh, N-Scale. Yeah, true, it's a cow unit. It wasn't a hood, but I went, holy cow, that, that gets your attention in a heartbeat. Yeah, have you seen the video coming out of the Atlas S4? And N scale. See if they an S two or an S four and N scale. No. Good good grief. It's hard to put it was hard to put sound into an HO scale S four. That's true. I'll that say, is yeah. true. Just the whole thought of how did you get it in there? And how can it pull anything? <laughs> I know, right? The uh we have I finally got at the store, we've uh, started carrying a lot of uh railmaster speakers and uh stocking up on ESU. We're now a dealer for ESU's, uh, you know, DCC. And I just finished two today before we did the the podcast with sound. And I just love them. I just love them. Are they the guys that make the wow sound? No, that's TCS. That's TCS. That's TCS. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty amazing. We have those in stock also. I have never personally put one in, uh, mainly because I've not had a customer request it. But rumor has it that with the 25th anniversary of soundtracks coming up, I guess, this summer, that there might be some uh, eye-opening announcements on their behalf about product improvements, innovations, and so forth. Again, I have nothing to found this on except for, you know, different modelers coming in or other installers going, yeah, this is what I heard. So I hope it's true. I love it when the uh, the industry keeps spurring the the other companies on to improve, to deliver it more is, and more. It's, great. it's a great time to be a modeler. It really yes, is. it is. Uh, it was interesting, though. I was looking um, on, the, on the diesel list, and uh, they're kind of an eclectic bunch, but they know really? their stuff. Don't say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're very picky, shall we say. 
to put it mildly. Uh, but they know their stuff, so i got to turn back to the computer. Um, they were commenting that WoW was wanting to do the GE. Uh, the FDL-16 for uh, GE locomotives. And um, he said that the problem that they were having is they want to do it accurately. One of the sound sequences is going from notch one to notch eight immediately. Oh, okay. Okay. It's the same thing that, you know, they, they do in, with... Uh, 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 what, commuter locomotives? Or? No, 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 no. Um, no, uh, we were just talking about them. Um, uh, ESU. ESU has done, you know, the same thing with, you know, the switcher locomotives with the alcoves and things like that. You know, they have, you know, you put it, you know, when you're kicking cars, it's notch one to notch eight. The problem is, is that the prototype GE takes 45 seconds to spool up. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It takes a long time for it to get going. And the problem they have it is because it takes so long. It says no modeler wants to wait for that. No. No, and that's going from <laughs> one to eight. That's not stepping through the notches. That says one eight, and it just that's how long it takes. <laughs> you know, so they're trying to be fidelity. You know, get as much prototype fidelity as they can, and they're running into the reality of one particular prototype that you know modelers will. I, they want it now. I don't want to wait 45 seconds. Yeah, well, that's what the real one does. It's not an EMD. What do you want? Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, but it would be 40, 45 seconds divided by 87 to get you the scale seconds, wouldn't it? Right. Yes, absolutely. No. <laughs> yeah, time doesn't scale that way. Yeah, time doesn't scale that way. Sorry. Nice try, though. Yeah, second and a half. No. No, no. What be left is less than that. But Yeah, no. I don't. I don't think that's the way that works. Mm. I'm pretty certain it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, that I means it just shows the companies are really trying to get it right, which is good. Which is good. Um, from what I've heard from the Wow Sound, uh, they don't. The issue that I've talked that that I've you know opined with Chris about the the uh, the EMD 645 being flat in the tsunami. Yeah. No, the tsunami. So the tsunami's all right. It's the loke sound that has the issue. Yeah, the the wow sound has got it down right. Okay, well, back up, back up. Which version of the six forty five? The turbo. Okay. The six forty five turbo. Okay, V sixteen. Okay. Uh, I mean, I can't tell the difference between a six forty five twelve cylinder and a six forty five sixteen or a twenty. Okay. Uh, me, not me. I mean, I haven't listened to enough twenties to to get the difference. You know, and normally you listen to a. You know, if I took a recording of say a GP thirty nine dash two, if you take a recording of that and then listen to it next to a recording of a GP forty, yeah, then I might be able to tell the difference. But normally, when they're together, you can't tell the difference. I can't. Maybe there's probably people that can, but. I'm not one of those people. Well, I know uh, ESU, when at the last meet and greet I was at, Matt was saying we're looking for a, trying to find a, an SD45 or 45-2 right. survivor to be able to pull up a 20 because he had had requests from audiophiles or 
model mm -hmm. railroaders that are also audiophiles who discern the difference. Yeah. That's, you know, they would be beyond me <laughs> picking up the extra four cylinders there. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, while I think the, uh, you know, that's one of those things where if you can do yeah. it, you should do it. Sure. You know, just because most people can't tell the difference isn't a reason not to do it. If you can, I mean, if it's, if it's going to cost you $50,000 extra, mm -hmm. say, and I'm throwing out a number, maybe that's how much it costs. I don't know. I mean, if it's going to cost you a million dollars, then fine. Most people aren't going to tell the difference. But if it's going to cost you a thousand dollars to do another recording, you'll find somebody with, you know, if you can find it. If you can find it. If there are no more, then then it is what it is. I mean, but for instance, there's there's a difference between a twelve cylinder GE and a sixteen cylinder GE, from what I'm told. Um, and so it, it makes it. It would be worth their effort, I think, to go find a B23-7 to go record it. You know, you've got the C30. Well, yeah, the C30, which is a 16, and then the B23-7, they sound different. The fewer cylinders the GEs have, the more they make a different sound. The GEs, like the, the U18, is definitely different than a C30. It's, it, there's more of a bark. It's very distinct. Okay. Um, because Mike Compalone had a U18 and it was just remarkable. He had an ESU. It was a low sound in an Intermountain U18. It just sounded great. Um, very talks a lot. It's a lot louder. Okay. So guys, if, uh, if you guys are more or less done with me, I'm going to drop off if that's okay. Okay. Well, if you got okay, it, you got it. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, the wife is calling. I gotta get oh, we see how it is. But thank yeah. you so much for having me. I really do appreciate the chance. Well, thanks to for coming on. Say, oh, my on pleasure. The, uh, and, uh, the ultimate of last no notice. Hey, you want to come on the podcast in like three minutes? <laughs> well, it's not like I haven't sure. done it to you. So well, that, That's true. We do that yeah. to our guests a lot. Ken Patterson, I think, uh, had about an hour's notice. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Ken's a good one for that, too. Okay. Ken, uh -huh. Ken is, can fill up an hour pretty easily. All right. Yep. All right, Craig. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Very good, guys. Uh, no, Thanks, thank Craig. you very much. Appreciate it. And uh, talk to you soon, I hope. Okie doke. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Cheers. Well, I've done direct comparisons talking about the 16-cylinder uh, uh, FDL between ESU's version and uh, the Tsunami. And I think they both sound good. Uh, I've got a friend who has dash eights, dash nines, and he goes back and uses the sound file out of the C series. Because mm -hmm. to him, it sounds more like he wants a GE to sound in HO. And I went, well, okay, it's your locomotives, and if that's the sound file you want me to download in this decoder for you, be happy to do it. <laughs> and, right. and, yeah, he's happy. He goes, I don't care. I just think it sounds more like a GE. And I went, okay, not a problem. I've got several E units to do. Mm -hmm. And when I got the uh, ESU catalog at the first of the year, it said, now available, twin motor, uh, you know, EMD E8 
567s, but it's not on their list. So apparently that was a little premature. So I think uh, my UPEs are going to be uh, late model conversions to the 16-cylinder 645 non-turbo, which is what the UP did in the 90s when they rebuilt the, the Heritage's. So that and that will be my oh yeah this is just another heritage locomotive because I've I've heard I think from you and Chris that the non-turbo tsunami sound file for the uh, 16th cylinder was just really good right okay all right I'm looking forward to that so anything else on your mind. Uh, not really. Um, I've been doing a lot of 3D modeling. Um, I've actually had a couple of things produced in the interim. I just, um, uh, just today, not today? Yeah, today I finished it. I got, I got the product earlier, but I, I just, I just assembled it today. I posted some pictures on the Facebook group of, um, the bolster that I created to convert a, an MTH uh, boxcar, high-Q boxcar, which is a beautiful model, uh, MTH high-Q boxcar to um, Proto 48. It puts it at the right height, the coupler's the right height, it has the cushion. Obviously, it's not a cushion underframe, but the couplers move in and out. Yeah. So they slide in and out, and they use the Protocraft-style couplers, so the knuckle couplers, not KDs. But uh, put everything together, and uh, they're the right height, they're, they, and they use my trucks I designed the trucks and had them 3D printed, so with using protocraft wheels, but uh, and it came out real good, so I'm happy with it. Uh, I just gave you a link to a Dropbox uh, folder. Okay, got it. I'm clicking on it, I'm going into it. Dropbox! I see pictures coming up long. Oh, Lionel Gondola in. So, you have created this gondola end? Yep. So, the top picture is the picture of the prototype. Yeah. And then there's the pictures of the model that came from Shapeways and then my 3D model. And then the drawings. And then the drawings, yeah. So, wow. 